What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. And you're here. Thanks for choosing the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Your quest for podcasts of the paranormal, supernatural, and the unexplained ends here. We invite you to enjoy all our shows we have on this network. And right now, let's Let's start start with with Shades of the Afterlife with Sandra Champlain. Welcome to our podcast. Please be aware the thoughts and opinions expressed by the host are their thoughts and opinions only and do not reflect those of iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, Coast to Coast AM, employees of Premier Networks, or their sponsors and associates. We would like to encourage you to do your own research and discover the subject matter for yourself. Hi, I'm Sandra Champlain. For over 25 years, I've been on a journey to prove the existence of life after death. On each episode, we'll discuss the reasons we now know that our loved ones have survived physical death, and so will we. Welcome to Shades of the Afterlife. Last week, on episode 120, we scratched the surface of something called veridical near-death experiences. And I'd like to revisit it because I've been thinking about it all week. University of Virginia says, we are particularly interested in studying near-death experiences that may bear on the question of whether the mind can function outside the physical body and whether we may survive bodily death. One such type of experience is the so-called veridical near-death experience, in which experiencers acquire verifiable information that they could not have obtained by any normal means. For example, some experiencers report seeing events going on at some distant location, such as another room of the hospital, or an experiencer might meet a deceased loved one who then communicates verifiable information the experiencer had not known. Other kinds of near-death experiences that may bear on the mind-body question include those in which mental functioning seems to be enhanced despite physiological evidence that the brain is impaired. The causes of near-death experiences are complex and not fully known. While many medical and psychological explanations have been offered, they remain speculative and often fall short of explaining the entire phenomena. The last time we were together, there was a fantastic story about a woman who had had a near-death experience and actually saw a tennis shoe, a sneaker, outside on the railing of one of the hospital floors and could describe it perfectly. The shoe was found. It existed just the way she said it. I also shared with you some examples of blind people seeing during 
near-death experiences. Quite fascinating. I truly believe we are souls having a human experience. And these veridical experiences don't just happen with near-death experiences. If you've read my book, We Don't Die, Skeptics' Discovery of Life After Death, or you've been a longtime listener to Shades of the Afterlife, I have mentioned the term remote viewing. I thought it would be fun to do a little remote viewing experiment with you today, to play with our soul, to play with our own perception and what we can experience. Are you willing to have some fun? So on this episode today, we're going to do some remote viewing experiments. I also want to tell you some stories of these incredible veridical near-death experiences. And I want to introduce you to a cardiac surgeon. I have a recording of him talking to another doctor about the phenomenal thing he witnessed in an operating room. So let's get started, first of all, on our remote viewing. The term remote viewing came from a physicist named Russell Targ. He is the author of the book, The Reality of ESP, A Physicist's Proof of Psychic Abilities. As a boy, Russell would just seem to know things about people. He would know what their house looked like, what kind of dog they had. In time, Russell Targ went on to becoming one of the founding fathers of the laser beam, but never forgot about this ESP experience that he had. He created the Stanford Research Institute. It was all about ESP, and eventually, some of the participants were so good, they were actually used as psychic spies. But for you and me today, it is an experiment of your soul's ability to see beyond time and space. And I say that because I am recording this on one date and you are listening on another date. So your soul will go looking in the past to answer some questions. If you are willing to play, if you are willing to be wrong, I invite you to listen. There are three types of people, and we each predominantly use a certain sense. Some of us visual, some of us auditory, and some of us kinesthetic, meaning feelings. Our first experiment will be identifying the attributes of something that I am looking at right in front of me. I have two laptops in front of me, one doing the recording, one with my notes, and in between it, I have an object. Some things you should know. One is don't try to figure out what the object is. Rather, consider what some of the attributes of it may be. Is it heavy? Is it light? Is it tall? Is it short? Does it have one color or many colors? Is it one object or is it many objects? 
They say we have two parts of our brain, an analytical one and one where our imagination is in control. For this experiment, just ask that side of your brain that's analytical and trying to figure it out to be set aside. And let's play with your imagination. Take a second and see how your belly feels. That's right, your stomach. You have heard of gut intuition, right? You got a gut feeling. So pay attention to that gut right now. And if you were to be able to see what I'm looking at on my table, what attributes might be there? If you have a piece of paper or want to enter this into your notepad on your phone or iPad, go right ahead. Don't be concerned with getting it right. Have fun with it. When you pay attention to the feelings in your belly, what kind of thoughts come to mind? All right. Are you ready to move to the next experiment? And oh yes, at the end of this episode, you bet I will tell you what these three things are. Part two of our experiment is using our kinesthetic sense. So this is feeling. This is touch. This is smell. This is taste. How you feel about an object how I feel about an object. So yes, indeed, I have an object in front of me. I will hold it in my hand. And you, use that imagination. And if you were holding it in your hand, is it heavy? Is it light? Is it big? Is it small? Does it have color to it? When I hold it to my nose, does it have a smell to it? How does it feel in your fingertips? Is it soft? Is it smooth? Is it ridged? Is it furry? Does it have sharp points? And believe it or not, (laughs) I'm going to lick it. (laughs) I'm crazy, but you have to get the sense of it all, okay? Is there a taste? What does the taste remind you of? Okay, you've got some ideas? Again, maybe not figuring out what it is because that will cause your analytical side of the brain to kick in. And what does that do? That makes 
the soul sense, the intuition, disappear. And now for part three. This is auditory. I am going to press the pause button and I'm going to sing a little bit of a song. See if you can, again, feel in your belly. It's the best place to start to get in touch with your intuition, your gut feelings. But see if you can hear in your mind's ears what the song is. Yes, I feel like a fool sitting and singing in my kitchen. (laughs) But it's all for experiment, right? So again, if you want to write a few things down or some feelings that come about the song, go ahead and do so. Don't be hard on yourself. Again, when you use that analytical side of your brain, it shuts off our soul power. But if you're okay being wrong, and if you're okay just using your imagination, what might those objects be and that song be? So we will answer this question at the end of the episode. So it's time for our first break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Stay right there. There's more Sandra coming right up. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. T-I-K-A.com. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. The wait is over. The Shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Hi, it's Dr. Sky, 
Keep it right here on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. What I'd like to do in our segment now is I want to read to you an article by Kevin Williams, published at the end of 2019, called People See Verified Events While Out of Body. The scientific method requires all phenomena to be reproducible, provide veridical details, example, details which cannot be explained away and which are found to be true, and undergo rigorous tests to rule out all the known alternative explanations for a theory to be proven as a scientific fact. Using the scientific method, near-death experiences have been proven to be a real scientific phenomena because they are reproducible. Near-death experiences were first shown to be reproducible during studies involving the subject of fighter pilots to extreme gravitational forces in a giant centrifuge. But the question is not, are near-death experiences real? Even skeptics now concede that it is a real phenomena. The question to ask is, are near-death experiences a phenomena of a person's consciousness being outside of their body. And if this is proven to be true, the next question is, can consciousness survive bodily death? This last question likely cannot be proven to the satisfaction of the skeptics using near-death research alone. This is because no matter how you define death, the only kind of definition that satisfies the skeptics is irreversible death. Just the very nature of the phrase near-death experience suggests that it is not true death where nobody comes back. However, good scientific evidence for survival can be found in other realms of research, such as psychic studies, quantum physics, consciousness studies, and remote viewing, not to mention the mountain of circumstantial evidence. Next, he gets into veridical perception in near-death experiences. At this point in near-death studies, researchers are particularly interested in studying those near-death experiences that might provide an answer to the question of whether the mind can function outside the body. This is the first step in determining whether consciousness can survive bodily death. One way to discover this is to examine those NDEs, which are veridical, meaning verifiable. Veridical NDEs occur when the experiencer acquires verifiable information, which they could not have obtained by any normal means. Often, near-death experiencers report witnessing events that happen at some distant location away from their body, such as another room of the hospital. If the events witnessed by the experiencer at the distant location can be verified to have occurred, 
then veridical perception would be said to have taken place. It would provide very compelling evidence that NDEs are experiences outside of the physical body. Besides his groundbreaking book, Life After Life, in 1975, Dr. Raymond Moody is the author of excellent near-death experience books such as Reflections, The Light Beyond, Reunions, Coming Back, The Last Laugh, Life After Loss, Paranormal, and Making Sense of Nonsense. In Life After Life, Moody documents a number of veridical near-death experiences, which will be described here. This veridical evidence suggests the possibility that consciousness can exist away from the body. In light of such veridical evidence, other NDE theories fall by the wayside because they cannot account for these veridical details. And although the available veridical near-death experience evidence does not constitute scientific proof of consciousness surviving bodily death, it does qualify as a very powerful circumstantial and anecdotal evidence, the kind of evidence that is upheld every day in courts of law around many countries. Whether or not there will ever be scientific evidence for the survival of consciousness may depend upon science itself and how such phenomena as near-death experiences can be quantified. Using the strict demands of science, we can only conclude, as Dr. Raymond Moody does when he had this to say, I've been a follower of science all of my life, but I also have a PhD in philosophy. And it really seems to me that the question of life after death is not yet ripe for scientific inquiry because it is not formulatable in a way that fits into the current scientific method. I also think it's the most important question. If you think of the big questions of existence, this is the biggie. So here are some veridical near-death experiences from Dr. Raymond Moody. An elderly woman had been blind since childhood, but during her NDE, the woman had regained her sight, and she was able to accurately describe the instruments and techniques used during the resuscitation of her body. After the woman was revived, she reported the details to her doctor. She was able to tell her doctor who came in and out of the room, what they said, what they wore, what they did, all of which was true. Her doctor then referred the woman to Moody, who knew he was doing research on near-death experiences. In another instance, a woman with a heart condition was dying at the same time of her sister, and her sister was in a diabetic coma in another part of the same hospital. The subject reported having a conversation with her sister as both of them hovered near the ceiling watching the medical team work on her body below. When the woman awoke, she told the doctor that her sister had died while her own resuscitation was taking place. The doctor denied it, 
but when she insisted, he had a nurse check on it. The nurse found that the sister had, in fact, died during the time in question. Here's another example. A dying girl left her body and went into another room in the hospital where she found her older sister crying and saying, Oh, Kathy, please don't die. Please don't die. The older sister was quite baffled when, later, Kathy told her exactly where she had been sitting, what she had been doing, and what she had been saying during this time. After it was all over, the doctor told me I had a really bad time, and I said, yeah, I know. He said, well, how do you know? And I said, I can tell you everything that happened. He didn't believe me, so I told him the whole story from the time I stopped breathing until the time I was coming around. He was really shocked to know that I knew everything that had happened. He didn't know quite what to say, but he came in several times to ask me things about it. When I woke up after the accident, my father was there, and I didn't want to know what sort of shape I was in, or how I was, or how the doctors thought I would be. All I wanted to do was talk about the experience I had been through. I told my father who dragged my body out of the building and even what color clothes that person had on and how they got me out and even about all the conversation that had been going on in the area. And my father said, yes, all of those things are true. Yet my physical body was out this whole time and there was no way I could have seen or heard these things without being outside of my body. Here's a story of a lady named Sarah and told by her doctor. Sarah had had cardiac arrest during gallbladder surgery, but had been successfully resuscitated. Upon recovery, she had amazed the surgery team by reporting a clear, detailed memory of, or layout, the scribbles on the surgery schedule board in the hall outside the color of the sheets covering the operating table, the hairstyle of the head scrub nurse, and even the trivial fact that her anesthesiologist that day was wearing unmatched socks. All this she knew, even though she had been fully anesthetized and unconscious during the surgery and the cardiac arrest. But what made Sarah's vision even more momentous was the fact that, since birth, she had been blind. I tell you, those stories of the blind being able to see gives me goosebumps and lets us know that our consciousness survives. I'm so grateful that you are with me today on our experimental day into remote viewing and learning about veridical near-death experiences. So let's go for the break, and then we'll be right back. And don't forget our three experiments. What is it that I'm looking at at the table? What is it that I held in my hand, even smelled and licked? And what was the song I was singing? You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. 
Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash shot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. The Art Bell Vault never disappoints. Classic audio at your fingertips. Go now to coasttocoastam.com for full details. The wait is over. The Shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. This is Afterlife expert Daniel Braintree, and you're listening to the iHeart Radio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Welcome back to Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. We're doing a little remote viewing, and we're talking about veridical near-death experiences. I'd like to continue now with some more experiences. This one is about Kathy Milne, who was working as a nurse at the Hartford, Connecticut Hospital. Kathy had already been interested in near-death experiences, and one day found herself talking to a woman who had been resuscitated and who had a near-death experience. Following a telephone interview with Kenneth Ring, she described the following account. She told me how she floated up over her body, viewed the resuscitation effort for a short time, and then felt herself being pulled up through several floors of the hospital. She then found herself above the roof and realized she was looking at the skyline of Hartford. She marveled at how interesting this view was, and out of the corner of her eye, she saw a red object. It turned out to be a shoe. She thought about this shoe, and suddenly she felt sucked up as if by a black hole. The rest of her near-death experience was fairly typical, as I remember, I was relating this to a skeptical resident who, in a mocking manner, left. Apparently, he got a janitor to get him onto the roof. When I saw him later that day, he had the red shoe in his hand and became a believer 
too. Here's another story. In the summer of 1982, Joyce Harmon, a surgical intensive care unit nurse at Hartford Hospital, returned to work after vacation. On that vacation, she had purchased a new pair of plaid shoelaces, which she happened to be wearing on her first day back at the hospital. That day, she didn't know that she would be involved in resuscitating a patient, a woman she didn't know, giving her medicine. The resuscitation was successful. And the next day, Joyce Harmon happened to see the patient, whereupon they had a conversation, the gist of which went, oh, you're the one with the plaid shoelaces. What? Harmon replied, astonished. She says she distinctly remembers feeling the hair on her neck rise. I saw them, the woman continued. I was watching what was happening yesterday when I died. I was up above the room. There is no way, Harmon remembers, that this woman could have seen anything as she had been dead. Here's another case. In the late 1970s, Sue Saunders was working at Hartford Hospital as a respiratory therapist. One day, she was helping to resuscitate a 60-ish man in the emergency room whose electrocardiogram had gone flat. Medics were shocking him repeatedly with no results. Saunders was trying to give him oxygen. In the middle of the resuscitation, someone else took over for her and she left. A couple of days later, she encountered this patient in the ICU. He commented to her, You looked so much better in your yellow top. She, like Harmon, was so shocked at this remark that she got goosebumps, for she had been wearing a pale yellow smock the previous day. Yeah, the man continued, I saw you. You had something over your face, and you were pushing air into me, and I saw your yellow smock. Saunders confirmed that she had had something over her face, a mask, and that she had worn the yellow smock while trying to give him oxygen while he was unconscious and without a heartbeat. Okay, and here's Jack's near-death experience. At the time this happened, I suffered, as I still do, from a very severe case of bronchial asthma and emphysema. One day, I got into a coughing fit and apparently ruptured a disc in the lower part of my spine. For a couple of months, I consulted a number of doctors for the agonizing pain, and finally, one of them referred me to a neurosurgeon, Dr. Wyatt. He saw me and told me that I needed to be admitted to the hospital immediately, so I went on in and they put me in traction right away. Dr. Wyatt knew that I had bad respiratory diseases, and so he called a lung specialist who said that the anesthesiologist, Dr. Coleman, should be consulted if I was going to be put to sleep. So the lung specialist worked on me for almost three weeks until he got me to a place where Dr. Coleman would put me under. He finally consented on a Monday. They scheduled the operation for the next Friday. Monday night, I went to sleep and had a restful sleep until sometime early Tuesday morning when I woke up in severe pain. I turned over and tried to get into a more comfortable position. But just at that moment, a light appeared in the corner of the room, just below the ceiling. It was a ball of light, almost like a globe, and it wasn't very large. I would say no more than 12 to 15 inches in diameter. And as this light appeared, a feeling came over me, 
It was a feeling of complete peace and utter relaxation. I could see a hand reach down for me from the light and said, Come with me. I want to show you something. So immediately, without hesitation whatsoever, I reached up with my hand and grabbed onto the hand I saw. As I did, I had the feeling of being drawn up and leaving my body, and I looked back and saw it lying there on the bed while I was going up towards the ceiling of the room. Now at this time, as soon as I left my body, I took the same form as the light. I got the feeling, and I'll have to use my own words for this because I've never heard anyone talk about anything like this, that this form was definitely a spirit. It wasn't a body, just a wisp of smoke or vapor. It looked almost like the clouds of cigarette smoke you can see when they are illuminated as they drift around a lamp. The form I took had colors, though. There was orange, yellow, and a color that was very indistinct to me. I took it to be indigo, a bluish color. This spiritual form didn't have a shape like a body. It was more or less circular, but it had what I would call a hand. I know this because when the light reached down for me, I reached up for it with my hand. Yet the arm and hand of my body just stayed put because I could see them lying on the bed down by the side of my body as I rose up to the light. But when I wasn't using the spiritual hand, the spirit went back to the circular pattern. So I was drawn up in the same position the light was in, and we started moving through the ceiling and through the wall of the hospital room, into the corridor and through the corridor, down through the floors, it seemed, on down to a lower floor in the hospital. We had no difficulty in passing through doors or walls. They would just fade away from us as we would approach them. During this period, it seemed that we were traveling. I knew we were moving, yet there was no sensation of speed. And in a moment, almost instantaneously really, I realized that we had reached the recovery room of the hospital. Now, I hadn't even known where the recovery room was at this hospital, but we got there. And again, we were in the corner of the room, near the ceiling, up above everything else. I saw the doctors and nurses walking around in their green suits and saw the beds that were placed in there. This being then told me and showed me, that's where you're going to be. When they bring you off the operating table, they're going to put you in that bed, but you will never awaken from that position. You'll know nothing after you go into the operating room until I come back to get you sometime after this. Now, I won't say this was in words. It was like an audible voice, because if it had been, I would have expected the others in the room to have heard the voice, and they didn't. It was more of an impression that came to me, but it was in such a vivid form that there was no way for me to say I didn't hear it or I didn't feel it. It was definitely me. So after he told me this, he took me back to my hospital room and I got back into my body again, still lying in the same position as when we left. This whole thing left me astounded and took me completely by surprise. But what was even more astonishing was the next morning, I was not the least bit afraid of the surgery. When I shaved, I noticed my hand didn't shake like it had been doing for six or eight weeks before then. 
The night before the surgery, Dr. Coleman came in and told me he was expecting a lot of trouble with putting me to sleep and not to be surprised to wake up and find a lot of wires and tubes and machines all connected to me, trying to keep me alive. I didn't tell him what I had experienced, so I just nodded and said I would cooperate. The next morning, the operation took a long time, and as I was regaining my consciousness, Dr. Coleman was there with me, and I told him, I know exactly where I am. He asked, where are you? I'm in the recovery room. I'm in that first bed on the right, just as you come in from the hall. He just kind of laughed, and of course, he thought I was just talking from the anesthesia. I wanted to tell him what had really happened. But just in a moment, Dr. Wyatt came in and said, He's awake now. What do you want to do? And Dr. Coleman said, There's not a thing I can do. I've never been so amazed in my life. Here I am with all of this equipment set up, and he is fine and doesn't need a thing. Dr. Wyatt said, Miracles still happen. Miracles definitely do happen. I'm so excited about our next segment after the break. I'm going to introduce you to a doctor who shares a story of both a miracle happening, well, I guess two miracles happening, but one involves one of these veridical near-death experiences. This doctor witnessed someone dying and being dead for about 20 minutes before coming back to life. You're really going to enjoy this. So let's take our break and we'll be back. You're listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Don't go anywhere. There's more Shades of the Afterlife coming right up. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com/theshy to get a fifty percent discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July fourteenth. Subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. You're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. The wait is over. The shy is back on Paramount Plus, and the stakes have never been higher. Everything changes on the South Side when a new threat comes to power in the Showtime original series from Emmy winner Lena Waithe. Battle lines will be drawn, alliances will shift, and danger lies around every corner, leaving everyone to wonder who they can trust. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash TheShot to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. Subscription auto-renews. Restrictions apply. 
Hi, this is ufologist Kevin Randall, and you're listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Shades of the Afterlife. I'm Sandra Champlain. In this segment, yes, indeed, I will give you the details about our remote viewing experiment. Yes, I will reveal the items to you. But before that, I want to play for you some words by cardiac surgeon Dr. Lloyd Rudy talking about a patient who came back to life after being dead. It's quite a story and quite a good affirmation that veridical near-death experiences are real and that our consciousness survives physical death. Be sure to also pay attention to his second story of what the whole surgical team felt in a surgery room. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Belligan. I'm here with Dr. Lloyd Rudy, one of the most famous cardiac surgeons. Dr. Rudy, thanks so much for being with us. You're welcome. You know, we don't get the opportunity to be in the operating room or even most people don't get the opportunity to visit with a cardiac surgeon who has had experiences with people near death or some who have already been pronounced dead and come back. And so that's what we're going to talk about here, in particular one case and may touch on another one. Dr. Rudy, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, we had a very unfortunate individual who, on Christmas Day, had from an oral infection okay. infected his uh, native valve. Okay. If your native valve has the slightest defect, whether you were born with it or you developed it later, it calcified little and the valve leaflets don't move or whatever, the body recognizes that as something abnormal that it's got to take care of. Okay. And being a dentist, this is very intriguing to me. Yeah. I mean, right. it even that fits it into oral... our meeting here right. and so on. Right. So, so that's what happened to this man. And I happened to be off for the first Christmas in five years. One of my junior partners was on call, and he had to do an emergency uh, valve resection okay. to try and get rid of the nidus of infection that was spreading all over into every organ of this man's body. Right. Once we were able to accomplish the repair of the aneurysm and the replacement of the valve, we could not get the person off of the bypass. Every time the four or five liters of blood that we were pumping around his body, we would reduce down to two or three he'd begin to weaken and his blood pressure would go down and so on. And to make a long story short, we simply couldn't get him off the heart-lung machine. Right. Finally, we just had to give up. I mean, we just said, we cannot get him off of the heart-lung machine, so we're gonna have to pronounce him dead. Right. And so the anesthesiologist turned his machine off and the bellows that were breathing for the patient the anesthesiologist went into the surgeon's lounge. He hadn't eaten anything all day, so he went in to have a sandwich. The nurses, who were also starved and tired and stuff, left, and the people who usually clean up the 
instruments and all that were coming in and taking away all these tools. And my surgical assistant closed the patient in a way that a post-mortem exam could be done because anyone who, who succumbs on the table has to, by law, has to have a, an autopsy. autopsy right. The machine that records the blood pressure and the pulse and the left atrial pressure and all the monitoring lines and things continued to run the paper out onto the floor in a big heap. Nobody bothered to turn it off. And then uh, the assistant surgeon and I uh, went in and took our gowns off and gloves and and masks and things and came back and we were in our short sleeve shirts and we were standing at the door kind of discussing if there was anything else we could have done, any other medicines we could have given, whatever, right. to have made this a success. And as we were standing there, it had been at least 20 minutes that this man recorded no heartbeat no blood pressure. All of a sudden we looked up and the surgical assistant had just finished closing him. We saw some electrical activity and pretty soon the electrical activity turned into a heartbeat. Very slow, 30, 40 a minute. Well, pretty soon we look and he's actually generating a pressure. No, we're not doing anything. I mean, the machines are all <laughs> shut off and we're stopped all the medicines and all that. Right. So I start yelling, get anesthesia back in here and uh, get the nurses. And we start giving him some medicines and anesthesia started giving him oxygen. And pretty soon he had a blood pressure of 80 and pretty soon a blood pressure of 100 and his heart rate was of now up to 100 a minute, you know, and his blood gases were fine. He was oxygenating his blood and to make a long story short, he recovered and had no neurologic deficit. And for the next 10 days, two weeks, all of us went in and were talking to him about what he experienced, if anything. And he talked about the bright light at the end of the tunnel, uh, as I recall, and so on. But the thing that astounded me was that he described that operating room floating around and saying, I saw you and Dr. Catania standing in the doorway with your arms folded talking. I didn't know where the anesthesiologist was, but he came running back in. And I saw all of these post-its sitting on this TV screen. And what those were, were any call I got, the nurse would write down who called and the phone number and stick it on the monitor. And then the next post-it would stick to that post-it. And then I'd have a string of post-its of phone calls I had to make. He described that. I mean, there's no, way there's no way he could have described that before the operation because they didn't have any calls. No. Right? And, and he's sitting on, and he's, he's lying he's, on the, so he must have been floating. He was up there. Yeah. He described the scene 
uh, things that there is no way he knew. I mean, he didn't wake up in the operating room and see all this stuff. No. I mean, he was out right. and was out for, I don't know, even a day or two right. while we recovered him in the intensive care unit. So what does that tell you? What does, what that, does tell? that tell right. you? I mean, these people say you lose weight when you die. You lose weight, Some, something leaves you and you right. lose weight. They actually weigh people who die or are on scales and they die and they lose weight and other things like that that people describe. Right. So was that his soul up there? It's hard to know. But it, 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 certainly, it, it, it certainly brings that possibility into play. It always makes me very emotional. Right. There have been other instances, like one other I remember so vividly, was a guy who was on uh, anticoagulation, uh, medicines that keep you from clotting. And I, I don't even remember the operation or whatever, but we had to do him right away. And you try and reverse that as much as possible, but it's impossible to completely do it. And we were in there and we'd finished the surgery and we just simply could not stop this person from bleeding. Right. I mean, we pulled out every gun in the armory right. to try and get this Everything you person. could possibly do. Yeah, and we finally decided we're not gonna be able to stop this bleeding. Right. And all of a sudden, Nobody spoke because everybody in that room felt a presence. Right. And I mean, the anesthesiologist and I talked about it afterwards. I mean, there was no question. There was a presence in that room. Right. And he stopped bleeding just like that. How do you explain that? You can't. What, what, what is your take on that, Dr. Rudy? Oh. There's something out there that, you know, people with faith believers is there. Right? It's there. It's there. So I don't, some people call it God, some people call it other things, Buddha or Muhammad or whoever. Um, it has convinced me there is something out there. Oh yeah, there's something out there. That was cardiac surgeon, Dr. Lloyd Rudy telling that story. I want to remind you, our home base is wedontdie.com. Check out so many great things. Now, let's get the results of our remote viewing experiment. What was on the table? A big square glass vase filled with about 18 purple tulips. Beautiful spring flowers. What was I holding in my hand? It would be a lemon. Yes, and I cut it into four segments. I tasted it, I smelled it, it was a lemon. And last, what was the song I was singing? 
Row, row, row your boat gently down the stream. Merrily, 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 life is but a dream. I hope you've enjoyed this. Let me know your results. Email me at sandrachamplain at gmail.com. If you enjoyed remote viewing, check out my book, We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death, or Russell Targ's book, Limitless Mind, A Guide to Remote Viewing and Transformation of Consciousness. I'm Sandra Champlain. You've been listening to Shades of the Afterlife on the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Thanks for listening to the iHeartRadio and Coast to Coast AM Paranormal Podcast Network. Make sure and check out all our shows on the iHeartRadio app or by going to iHeartRadio.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.